BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Well, greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. We've got a lot going on today. Tucker Carlson and Viktor Orban are together in Hungary. They're doing Tucker's show this week from Hungary, the country that has shown that has created the template for how to destroy democracy in a constitutional republic. Mikey Weinstein is going to drop by. He's the founder and president of the Military Religious Freedom Foundation. All of this ties into my main rant for the day, which is titled, A Warrior's Instant Pass to Heaven Would Be Cultural Poison for America, over at HartmanReport.com. And, and here's the essence of it. Louise and I started a month or so ago. We started, you know, binge watching old history shows. We started out with The Crown, you know, the the pseudo history of the contemporary British royal family, and then we went to the to the White Queen, and then to the Red Queen, and then to the what was it, the Spanish princess, and then to the Vikings. Oh, and then to the Tudors, and now we're watching the Vikings. The thing about the Vikings that uh, you know, which is was originally done for the History Channel in Canada the first year. It's kind of a the first year, the first season is kind of stilted, but then the characters really kind of come alive because what happens was it really took off and, and got taken over by some people who really know how to make movies, apparently. Warning, it's insanely violent. But basically what it shows is that this one little tiny cultural story, this one little tiny story embedded deep inside our culture is the thing that has allowed, or that did allow the Vikings to basically seize Europe. I mean, they were regularly taking over chunks of England, or the United Kingdom. They took Paris. I mean, they didn't just take France, they took Paris. They got all the way down into the Mediterranean and took Sicily. I mean, these guys were crazed. And the one little cultural twist story that enabled them to do this that was not part of the primary culture and religion of the Europeans at the time was this belief that the fastest way to get to heaven, the, the, the Vikings called it Valhalla, the fastest way to get there was to die in battle, killing other people. Now, you know, I mean, we've, we've fought wars and you have ministers go out in the field with the troops and pray for them and all that kind of thing. My dad signed up for World War II um, at the time that the kamikaze pilots were the big threat to the American fleet um, because they believed that if they died in battle, they would be instantly transported to the, uh, the Shinto heaven or the, 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 you know, whatever the emperor, however he had reinvented the old uh, Bushido, the old uh, uh, samurai warrior's code of conduct, which said, if you die in, in war, you go immediately to heaven. And so this is, this is an extraordinarily potent meme to insert into a country's religion and culture. And when you do, the country changes from being what we call civilized to being what we call barbarous. A more contemporary example, you know, we were all sitting around making fun of the 19 guys who crashed the airplanes on 
saying that, uh, you know, they're going to get 72 virgins and all, you know, and there, there were all these jokes about the 72 virgins. Because they believed that. Now, that kind of belief that if you die in battle, you go immediately to heaven is in contemporary Islam an outlier. But it was bin Laden's outlier. Bin Laden had convinced his, his little band of followers, his, his, uh, at the time we invaded Afghanistan, the best guess was about 20,000 people had gone through his training camps and he had about 5,000 hardcore followers. Um, the, the numbers are obviously much larger now because of our invasion. But he had convinced these guys, if you die attacking you know, the heathens, the, uh, the Americans, you immediately go to heaven. And as a result, we got 9-11. Uh, you had uh, mentioned the kamikaze pilots. This was the, the main belief of the Vikings. And now I'm seeing, and I'm, in fact, I'm going to have to update my article, uh, but probably during the break at the bottom of the hour, um, but I'm seeing over at, at Raw Story now one of the top stories. This is absolutely shocking. Um, the headline, Good Way to Die, an AR-15 worshipping Mooney sect mobilized for January 6th is recruiting the far right to its apocalyptic vision. Right? I mean, I, I wrote this op-ed yesterday afternoon and, and finished it up this morning without knowing that the Moonies were actually, or this, the, this is apparently the son of Reverend Moon. I've got to more carefully read the article. Um, but it is, is saying, you know, it's a good way to die. Trying to end democracy. And it's frankly not a good way to die. I don't think you immediately get transported to heaven. But we have used this, we being Western civilization, Western culture, uh, Christianity, we have used this in the past. In uh, 1095, on, on uh, November 27th, Pope Urban gave one of history's most famous speeches. He was, he, he was speaking to the French warriors. He was sending them off to uh, fight in uh, Jerusalem, to seize Jerusalem from the, from the uh, Muslims at the time. And he said, God will lead them, for they are doing his work. There will be absolution and remission of sins for all who die in the service of Christ. Here they are poor and miserable sinners. There they will be rich and happy. And what came out of that? Well, uh, Raymond of Agiles, who was there, wrote an eyewitness account of what happened when those people who believed that if they died in battle, they would go immediately to heaven. Christians, what happened? He said, quote, some of our men cut off the heads of their enemies. Others shot them with arrows so that they fell from the towers. Others tortured them longer by casting them into the flames. Piles of heads, hands, and feet were to be seen in the streets of the city. It was necessary to pick one's way over the bodies of men and horses. But these were small matters compared to what happened at the Temple of Solomon, a place where religious services were ordinarily chanted. What happened there? If I tell the truth, it will exceed your powers of belief. So let it suffice to say this much at least, that in the Temple and Portico of Solomon, men rode in blood up to their knees and bridle reins. Christians. When you insert this simple little belief, that if you die in battle, you go to heaven, into a religion and thus into a culture, the culture ceases to be what we call civilized, ceases to advance in ways that we call civilization, and regresses to barbarism. It regresses back to the 10th century. It, as, as bin Laden you know, did with, with his little merry band in, in Afghanistan, as is happening in parts of Pakistan right now as ISIS is doing across the Middle East. This is what you get. And it's a deadly and dangerous thing. And the Republican Party, I'm telling you, by flirting with this stuff, is playing with fire. These are, <laughs> these are dangerous times. And we have to call this out. We have to highlight this and we have to wake people the hell up. This
This is the Tom Hartman Program. This is uh, not a good or healthy thing for America. On the line with us is uh, Mikey Weinstein. Mikey has been just doing this extraordinary work for many years. He's been on the program many times. It's been a while, though. He's the founder and president of the Military Religious Freedom Foundation. MilitaryReligiousFreedom.org is their website. His Twitter handle is Mikey, M-I-K-E-Y Weinstein, W-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N. Uh, Mikey, welcome back to the program. Uh, can you give us a, I, I've been ranting this morning about, you know, what happens when the white nationalist, uh, you know, the, the, the hardcore neo-fascists and the far-right Christians get together. Uh, you've been documenting their infiltration of our military. What's the latest? Well, first, Tom, I want to thank you for being here and uh, being the voice oftentimes, sadly, in the wilderness uh, for so many years. And it has been a while since I've been on. I know we've done the show before, but uh, thank you for the opportunity. Um, I just did an interview with Paul Jay um, at the analysis outlet last week, which went everywhere, about this specific thing about the merging of what we call um, fundamentalist Christian nationalism, which, of course, includes white supremacy, you know, into what we refer to as the technologically most lethal organization ever created by homo sapiens, which is our U.S. military. It's always been bad. But uh, during Trump, it was just like somebody handing out cocktails of cancer, uh, metastasizing it as fast as you possibly could. Uh, I often refer, Tom, you know, I'm sure, of course, you of all people know the famous, most famous speech by President Eisenhower was his farewell speech, where he warned America and the world about what, Tom? The uh, military-industrial complex, uh, originally yeah, the military-industrial-congressional complex in his first draft Exactly. They, 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 cut, they cut out the congressional part right at the end before he said it. But what we fight here at MRFF is nothing less than a fundamentalist Christian parachurch military corporate congressional proselytizing complex. And this concept of Christian nationalism, uh, Christian nationalists are people that hate democracy and want to create a fundamentalist Christian theocracy in its place. They hate our freedoms. Uh, it includes massive misogyny. This is, these are the component parts of this, uh, Islamophobia, homophobia, anti-Semitism, and a real hatred of our Constitution, which they want to subordinate to their weaponized version of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is just so bad, and as I said on the Paul Jay Show, uh, it, um, if you keep in mind, I think it was something like 7.9% Hitler had actually hard, hardcore people in his national socialist movement. Stalin had something like 2.8% in Russia. Uh, it's our best sense here at the Military Religious Freedom Foundation for fighting this for the majority of 20 years that we have somewhere between 28 to 34% of the people in the U.S. military, Tom, who would be classified or could easily be classified as Christian nationalists. But that's terrifying when you realize this is where all the nuclear weapons are, the drones, the chemical weapons, the laser-guided weapons. Um, we are probably later this week we will go over, get this, Tom, 75,000 sailors, soldiers, Marines, and airmen, guardians at the Space Force, Coast Guard, uh, Marines, uh, rather, um, um, cadets and midshipmen at the military academies, my alma mater, the Air Force Academy, West Point in Annapolis, and even junior ROTC, OTS and OCS. Uh, uh, and about 95% of our clients are actually Christians themselves that are being persecuted for not being Christian enough. So this is not, as um, they would say in Apollo 13, Houston, we have a problem. This is very much, Tom, uh, this is Houston. We have a national security threat internally, as much as we're facing externally, by a resurgent Taliban, Al Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, the Mujahideen, uh, and uh, Boko Haram. You name it. But it's right inside of our own military, and it was uh, the, and it was the Trump-inspired people who are still very much inextricably intertwined into what we call the Pentecostal gun that we are fighting on a daily basis. And that's why I'm so happy to be on with you today because most people do not know what Christian nationalism is. It's bad enough, Tom, as you know, you've spoken about it when you see it in legislatures or with sewage workers or firefighters or the police or even in public schools. But when you mix it in with uh, the firepower um, of our U.S. military, uh, it is nothing less than what I said, a, uh, a terrifying, harrowing national security threat, Tom. The histories of the Trump era are coming out right now, and one of them pretty much uh, deifies General Milley as the guy who, you know, the, the military stood against Trump. You know, Trump wanted to use the military. He wanted to, uh, you know, execute a coup or a state of emergency using the military, and they defied him. Is that the exception to the rule? Is the, is the senior brass, are they the, the ones who are, I mean, is there any effort on their part to hold back this tide from within their own ranks? 
You know, there was a movie you and I saw called Seven Days in May that came out probably oh, in the ago. early 60s or yeah. late 50s about a coup in, in the American military. I think Burt Lancaster and Kirk Douglas were in it. Mm-hmm. I would like to be able to, I think that Millie is probably a good person, but there should have been a more full-throated response to this Reichstag moment, uh, which was talked about, uh, we talked about that on the Paul J. show. Uh, I would have liked to have seen that. I don't want to I don't want to upset the senior flag officers, admirals and generals who come to us on almost a daily basis, and the senior executive service uh, members of the civilian duty corps, which are at the same level. But it is not, and this may surprise you, but probably won't, Tom. We get calls constantly from senior military leaders asking us to intervene in their own organizations because they know that we'll do it with uh, protecting anyone who's calling in for anonymity. Uh, and um, they don't have to, you know, turn into what we call tarantulas on wedding cakes and face horrible, you know, revenge, uh, you know, and retaliation. What bothers me is, you know, uh, MRFF, we are not a line item in the DOD budget, and these people should be standing up. I believe that General Milley and others, again, it should have been a more full-throated response than what we saw. Uh, and um, uh, we, we cannot have our military infected with careerism. There comes a time when doing the right thing means you have to do something objectively. And as Martin Luther King said, at the end of the day, um, it is not the words of our enemies that we remember, but the silence of our friends, and silence becomes complicity. I, I don't want to be mean or, uh, or um, terribly uh, uh, pejorative to these individuals, but stand the F up. You're, mm-hmm. you're in the military. I'm not saying if you're a manager at, you know, at, at, at Boeing or at Costco, but in this case, it's the United States military, and you see what the commander-in-chief is doing or trying to do, stand the F up and forget about your own uh, career, um, you know, uh, trajectory. In the case of Milley, he's already the most senior military person there. One of our advisory board members, one of my closest friends, is Larry Wilkerson, and he was the right-hand person to Colin Powell when he was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Milley's job, and when Colin Powell was the Secretary of State. And, uh, you know, I realize Christian nationalism is terrifying. It's everywhere. In fact, uh, they just kicked uh, Paul Jay's uh, link off of YouTube this morning, saying that we were passing information that the 2020 election was a fraud, when in fact it was the largest and most secure election in American history. So uh, we're going to be fighting that. And Tom, I hope they don't ever do that to the Tom Hartman show. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but it's, it's, it, they better not. I, well, I, and, and uh, you know, I'm not saying the election was a fraud. Never have. It seems to me that the most dangerous combination imaginable is this combination of military power and religious power. I was ranting about this, the Crusades, you know, uh, where the the Pope told people, and the papacy continued with this for a couple of hundred years, that if you die in battle, you immediately go to heaven. This was Bin Laden's message to his followers, which is why they were willing to crash planes into buildings. This is the message that ISIS and Boko Haram embrace and Al-Qaeda embrace, and it's why their fighters are so so difficult to defeat, frankly, because they're not afraid of dying. And I am hopeful that, and now, you know, Raw Story is reporting that the son of Reverend Moon is now talking about there's a good way to die, right? You know, you know fighting right. for fascism, fighting against the American way. Are you seeing evidence of this? I mean, that's the most extreme on the religious, the merger of religion and military that is conceivable. And every culture in the history of the world that has embraced this idea that if you die killing people, you immediately go to heaven, has flipped from being a civilized culture into a barbarous culture. It's why we call the Dark Ages the Dark Ages. Are you seeing evidence of that kind of thing starting to infiltrate our military? Not starting. It's been there for a long time. I invite your audience to Google the terms Jesus nukes as a nuclear weapons and Jesus rifles, two of our largest stories. I can tell you that the people that we are fighting are trying to use our U.S. military as an accelerant or lubricant to, again, bring their version of weaponized Jesus back. And a lot of them are, are promised. They talk about it. A 200-mile-long river, four and a half feet deep, filled with nothing but the blood of those that their version of Jesus is slaughtered at the Battle of Armageddon. And my, my fear, I've said it for years, is that they're going to try to spark a, a nuclear incident to accelerate uh, the arrival of their version of Jesus. I know how it sounds, but as I said before, when we took a look at January 6th, it was suddenly as if we at MRFF, Tom, had been suddenly discovered. We've been talking and screaming about this for years. I had so many media people calling me saying, why are we seeing so much military up there? Why are we seeing all the Christian iconography? So that's exactly what we're concerned about, except just to slightly you know, put a different theme on your statement, this isn't sudden. This has been going on really since the early 1990s, uh, and it, uh, it, it existed under Bush and Obama, under Clinton. 
and it just has gone completely crazy under Trump. And we are not seeing the type of ardent um, um, opposition that we would like to see from Biden or from General Milley or even from Lloyd Austin. Austin said, I want to quote, I want to be the lodestar for religious and and, um, racial diversity in DOD. Secretary Austin, show us. Words are cheap. you got to stand up and do it now. I don't know what more we can do. Yeah, amen. We're talking with Mikey Weinstein, the founder and president of the Military Religious Freedom Foundation, MRFF. The website is militaryreligiousfreedom.org. Absolutely. We provide our clients AARP, anonymity, action, results, and protection. We don't charge anything. Militaryreligiousfreedom.org or my phone number, which is public, 505 250-7727. We also have a toll-free number. We represent, like I said, uh, this week we'll hit 75,000 members of the military. We have over 650 people that work here, paid and volunteers. Uh, We've been doing this, fighting this fight since uh, uh, Mel Gibson came out with his wonderful movie, The Passion of the Christ, in February of 2004, or as we call it, The Jesus Chainsaw Massacre, or Freddy vs. Jesus. Uh, We've been uh, incorporated as as a 501c3 nonprofit since December of 2005. So we are here to help everybody. You can be completely anonymous. And if you want to help us, you can go to our website, militaryreligiousfreedom.org. Thank Mili- you, Tom. Militaryreligiousfreedom.org. Mikey, well, let's stay in touch and talk more frequently. Thanks so much for dropping by. Quick math the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Lynn in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. Hey, Lynn, what's up? I just wanted to call your attention to the video that's on, it's on YouTube, too, that's all over Twitter, of Michael Flynn at Kenneth Copeland Evangelical Church opening up this big convention, and he is talking just like exactly what you're talking about, you know, the Christ the warrior. It's like he's indoctrinating this whole, the whole congregation. You know, they got millions of viewers on that show. Yeah. Oh, it, I, I, it's yeah. shocking and so dangerous. Yeah, I used to listen to Kenneth Copeland back when I was into fundamentalist Christianity in the early '70s, and yeah. he was a pretty yeah. uh, he was a pretty uh, decent guy back then. I mean, you know, he was teaching yeah. love and Jesus yeah. and all this kind of stuff, and I I had no disagreement with him. And and somewhere along the road, he just turned into a into a right wing freak. Yeah, I had tapes of him when I was like in the '80s, you know. When- um, yeah, I used yeah, to listen to his car. tapes when I would drive. When I was working at RCA in Detroit, and it was about a you know half hour commute to get to work, and and I had a little uh, cassette tape recorder that I plugged into the into the car uh, cigarette lighter, and I'd listen to Kenneth Copeland tapes. I mean, that was nineteen seventy two. Boy, has it changed. Uh, look this video up. It's just shocking. Yeah. Well, you know, Mike Flynn has always been a, 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 a Christian nationalist, a white supremacist nationalist. And I'm not surprised. Thanks for the heads up, Lynn. It's, it's depressing, but yeah. it's stuff we all need to know. I appreciate it. And thanks for watching us in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. That was Lynn in Tahlequah. Here's Bob in Tahlequah. What's with Tahlequah, Bob? Are you recruiting uh, converts to watch our show? Or is it a huge oh, town? No, <laughs> uh, no Tom, I, I think the show's just uh, uh, greatly appreciated all over the country. Thank you. Uh, where, where What's on your mind? Are, uh, yeah, exposed to it. So what's on my mind? You were talking about the situation in Hungary, and it's interesting that Lynn, uh, that 
that she uh, was making the comment she was about Kenneth Copeland, who's, who's just become a madman over the years. It's, it's an example of what power does to you, I think. Yeah. But I, I, my question is, my burning question has been for a while, given that Hungary was, was on a, a pretty pretty a good track of wellness there. Yeah, um, for 20 years it was a democracy. Yeah, it was doing good. Uh, it, you know, people who have fertile land and some forest left and an appreciation for, for the natural world can, can help greatly right now by just figuring on the economy, whatever that would amount to, wherever you live, having something to do with maintaining uh, the ecosystems. And my burning question about Hungary is, is who's going to interfere with that? Dictator. Well, the EU tried twice. In 2015 and in 2018, the EU tried to issue essentially an ultimatum to Hungary saying that if Viktor Orban didn't actually hold a democratic election and and give the Hungarians an opportunity to to you know listen to the voices of the opposition that they would reconsider Hungary's uh, membership in the European Union. And both times the EU tried that, Orban used that to uh, play the victim, and the result was he became more popular in Hungary. His, his hold on power strengthened, it solidified. Um, the same way that, you know, I mean, you see this with right-wing uh, demagogues all the time. They, they play the victim card, they play the snowflake. You know, whether it's on Fox News, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, Jim Jordan, or whether it's Donald Trump. Oh, the liberals are out to get us, and that's, that's what Orban did. So I don't think that there's anybody right now who can restrain Orban. But the fact that Fox is sucking up to him, that's horrible. MJ in Seattle. Hey, MJ, what's up? Hey, thanks for this morning bringing up some some conditions and topics that I've been thinking about a lot. And uh, I think that the 1800s was was kind of a a time when the United States delved into the pre, these preconditions. One, one of them is the genocide. We were already uh, afflicting on the indigenous people. Right. Native and, Americans. And, the largest genocide yeah, and, in the history of the, the known history of the world was the American genocide of Native Americans. It's ghastly. We've never actually acknowledged it through the government. Yep. And, and two is the, the, uh, the, the belief that God wants it. You know, connecting those two things. Yeah, God you, wants you know what the the, the 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 slogan that they chanted during the Crusades was "Dies volt," which means God wills it. Yeah, oh gosh, yeah. Well, I didn't know I didn't know it in in Latin, but I I certainly <laughs> yeah. certainly read about it and heard it and picked that up through my studies and. Um, one of the thing, the strong things about this that that I want to uh, have an opportunity to tell your listeners is that um, it's, it can be historically building. In other words, uh, people that think about the Civil War as, as a time when this was supposed to be worked out, and and the South, which who should have won, didn't win. Um, they they uh, in, incorporate in their psychology a grievance. Right. And they can they pass it from parent to child, grandparent to grandchild, um, and uh, so we're seeing that too. That this is uh, not this is goes deeply into a family. It's the mythology of the lost cause, MJ, and it's what Donald Trump yeah. is trying to reinvent right now with his lost cause of his 2020 election. Yeah, somebody behind Trump knows what they're doing. Yeah, Steve Bannon. Uh, gosh, that's scary. That is a scary thought. I'm here to support life and love between people, and I'm doing everything I can. That's what we need to be doing. Brad in Elk Grove Village, Illinois. Hey, Brad, what's on your mind? Have you ever heard of the books The Late Great Planet Earth by By Hal Lindsey? Lindsey? Yeah, it came out in 1972, and and I read it when it came out, actually. The Left Behind series by John Jenkins? Yeah, I read about half of the first one in that series. I'm very familiar with these books. Okay, okay. Here's my point. When Armageddon comes in the Christian faith, it people who cause it, there is no way in my Christian belief they can go to heaven because it's antithetical. 
antithetical to what Jesus and God's teachings are. And to me, that's an absolute. And people who wish or try to create that final world war are only serving Satan. Yeah, and I'll take you know, it Sure, yeah, I get your I get your perspective, Brad, and 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 frankly, I share it. But if you read the book of Joshua, where God told you know the the, the his people to go into this city, the, I believe the city was I A I, and slaughter all the inhabitants, cut open the stomachs of the pregnant women, kill the dogs, cut the head off the king, and put his head on a stick in front of the city. Um, and that was just one of, uh, you know, a half a dozen slaughters that are documented in the book of Joshua. You get it that this idea of killing for God is, has infected at various times all three of the world's monotheistic religions. It infected Judaism way back when, and it was largely rejected by Judaism and has been for, for you know, millennia. Um, it infected Christianity with the Crusades, and, and it ha has infected Islam at various times, most recently with Al-Qaeda and ISIS. And, and, and all three of these religions share that book, the book of Joshua. And by the way, that's not the only place in the Old Testament where you will find this. It's just the most conspicuous. That's why I put a link to the entire book of Joshua in my, in my op-ed today. But uh, I'm telling you, it's, it's absolutely right. And this is, you know, this Christian nationalism is is a very, very, very dangerous thing. Uh, Brad, thank you for the call. Scott in Denver. Hey, Scott, what's up? Well, we got all these Republicans out there spewing, you know, the big lie, uh, COVID's not real, uh, the insurrection, you know, all this stuff, talking about how the election was stolen and all that. Well, don't all these people, when they take their office, they take an oath, don't they? Yeah, yeah, to protect and defend okay. the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Right, and and when researching what what the oaths um, are all about, it says in here that any person that has taken this oath and takes a place in office, um, let's see here. Uh, I am sorry, I just lost my place. Um, so anyone who becomes a member of the party becomes a member or a party of an organization, political or otherwise, that advocates for otherwise overthrowing the U.S. government. Um, by force or by violence or by unlawful means is guilty of a felony and is punishable by imprisonment in any prison. Right. So that's the sedition that's part of it. I mean, yeah, yeah. Who is not? So well, these people are obviously. I mean, Trump and, and our little Colorado crazy, crazy Colorado lady. All these people that are out there stealing these lies and they're doing it in front of public on TV, on the radio, in person, and they're demanding what they say is true. And, and we've already proven it's not true. How can they keep doing this without disqualifying themselves from being in office, from perjuring themselves? Well, it's it's a good question, Scott. And and you know, uh, uh, I was going to say, unfortunately, our Justice Department has not been willing to prosecute these kind of things. But uh, you know, I also have some concerns about that because. Had Bill Barr, you know, had 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 the Justice Department during Bill Barr's time decided that they were going to prosecute people that they thought were behaving in a way that was un-American or inconsistent with their oath of office, they would have been going after the Democrats. So, there, you know, there's this concern. Now, I think it's a legitimate concern that Merrick Garland has is let's not politicize the Department of Justice. This has to be first and foremost dealt with in the political sphere, which is, you know, us um, you know, showing up at elections and showing up with, you know, in the in the streets, as it were, you know, uh, protesting and, and, and presenting our point of view. Uh, I, I just don't I, you know, I don't think that we we are going to be saved by the DOJ. Carol in Newport, Oregon. Hey, Carol, thanks for listening. KYAQ. What's up? Um, I am um, concerned about the brother of Michael Flynn, who is now commander of the Army Pacific and Charles Flynn was in the room um, denying National Guard response to the January 6th insurrection. You're right. And he was promoted to general in 2020, in November, after the election, and then was um, approved as commander of the Pacific in January 2021. So I just think the timing is suspicious, and I'm really nervous about having the brother of such a crazy person <laughs> Um, in, in our army. I share your concern, Carol, and, and when he got promoted rather than prosecuted or at least questioned, um, I found it very troubling, and, uh, but I, you know, 
beyond flagging it, I'm not sure exactly what to do about that. I am hopeful that Lloyd Austin, our defense secretary, is paying careful attention to this. Yeah, I mean, I guess I just worry. It feels like quid pro quo that he would be mm-hmm. promoted so quickly and then be acting on behalf of or in Trump's favor. So I, yeah. anyways, it just makes me nervous and I just worry about all these people that have been in. Yeah, in I'm, I'm with you. And, and when Mikey Weinstein points out that Hitler's army only had a small percentage of people who were diehard uh, followers of Nazism, and Stalin's army only had a small percentage, in both cases under 10% of people who were, who were uh, you know, completely committed to Joe Stalin as a cult figure. Um, right. and, but here in the United States military, it's 20 to 30%. Um, What we have to remember is that Hitler's army and Stalin's army were draft armies, and our army is an all-volunteer army, and that is, in my opinion, the danger of an all-volunteer army. Carol, i got to move along, but thank you for the call. Marianne in Ocala, Florida. Hey, Marianne. Hey, Tom. I wanted to backtrack on back to Hungary and Viktor Orban. Yeah. Um, I'm Hungarian descent. I have a lot of cousins still over there, but I'm afraid to even email because I don't know if they're watching their emails or nothing. Oh, they are. But (laughs) I read, I believe it was on the BBC, um, that Orban, who I find to be a very big hypocrite, just like a lot of Republicans, he wanted to put, he moved George Soros' university out of Hungary and he wants to put a Chinese one in. Yeah, it was called the Central European University. It wasn't George yeah. Soros's. He he was one of the funders, but it was, a, yeah. it was it was it uh, was I think the word is ecumenical. It was a non-denominational, mm-hmm. not and not even Christian or Jewish. It was just, but it was a religiously based university. And uh, its rector, Michael Ignatieff, said, "Quote." There is no doubt that this is, as, the, as they were being thrown out of the country, this is, this is what he said right. in response to it. He said, there is no doubt that this is organized as a way of saying that, quote, Christianity, end quote, means, quote, white conservative Europe. It is a trope. Say the word Christian, and it says everything else you want to say. And, and right. that, that university is now no longer in Hungary. So, yeah. I think they moved to Austria. Mm-hmm. Yep. But, yes, I'm afraid of it. I'm hoping... They don't put the Chinese one in there, but well, hey, um, you know the Chinese are are China is basically an oligarchy right now, and that's that's what yeah. Viktor Orban has turned Hungary into. So it makes perfect sense. Marianne, thank yeah. you for the call. Ken in La Center, Washington. Hey, Ken, quick one. Yeah, Tom. My opinion is that the uh, Christian militarism started under Reagan. He opened the door to evangelicals, as well as Gene Dixon, the astrologer to the stars. But uh, he, uh, you know, it's. That's where it started, the uh, apocalyptic, you know, viewpoint of uh, these Christians who just uh, go right to revelations and skip all of the uh, message that Jesus had about love and caring for others. Yeah, yeah. I, and, and this is the problem. This is ahistoric. Ken, thank you. Um, you know, this, this new reinvented muscular, you know, Jesus the warrior uh, kind of right-wing Christianity has almost nothing to do with the Jesus of the Gospels, of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's just, you know, you won't find him in there. But he has been reinvented as a white guy with an AR-15. Eric in Erie, Pennsylvania. Hey, Eric, thanks for watching Free Speech. What's up? Hey, afternoon, Tom. I feel a little dumb now after doing a Google check. Um, I heard uh, Mikey Weinstein, and uh, it reminded me of a story from years ago that stuck with me. Uh, it was uh, proselytizing anti-Semitic commanding officers at the Air Force Academy. So I Google it just to check the year. I'm like, yeah, I'll mention this this one case that really caught a lot of news because I lived out in Colorado for a while. And it turns out Mikey's directly connected to it. It yeah. was his son. Did you know that? Yeah, that's how he got into it. He his son joined. Yeah. He was he was a graduate of the Air Force Academy back well, when yeah, it was no, normal. I, read up, uh, I I was doing while I was on hold. I did a quick Google check, and I was like, this that one out to me as such a horrific example. But um, it is it is my number one issue for for leaving the states. Um, if I'm a one issue voter, it's it's Jesus. Unfortunately, I, I'm I worked as a funeral director for many years. I worked with people during their religious rituals and and with clergy, and um, had lots of great relations. And had times where I just bit my tongue and walked away. But uh, 
having it in the forefront um, policy and, and definitely elections. I mean, Tom, can you name me any atheist or agnostic officeholder in America? No, it's toxic. It's poisonous. The reason yeah, why Thomas Paine only had seven people show up at his funeral because he published a right. book called The Age of Reason that defended atheism. Yeah, no, and, and that's the problem. I mean, you can't even run for dog catcher in a small town in Kansas without at least flipping it in there that you love Jesus. Yeah. And I think it is the most toxic part of America. And if you look at the violence, um, there's two key points there. All of our mass shooters that have been adults, military trained, and, um, and having an other, a specific enemy. And since September 11th, Islam is an easy way to, to really gin these guys up. Yeah, it, it really has been. I don't know about the all the, ma the mass shooters, Eric, but uh, yeah. And, and you know, giving, giving these white Christian fundamentalists, oh, you can go to the Middle East and kill Muslims. And they're like, oh boy, oh boy. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is The Cult of Trump. A leading cult expert explains how the president uses mind control by Stephen Hassan. This is from the introduction. Just beneath the surface of Trump's woe is me facade is a messianic streak. He may not come, may not come out and say he believes he is a messiah, but he has done nothing to dispel the notion popular among some Christian followers that God has chosen him to be their leader. Certainly, he makes no bones about the fact that he is the only one who can ima restore America to an imagined past glory and save us from a terrible future. One of, America's er uh, one of Trump's earliest campaign moves was to establish the image of a great shining wall in the minds of his followers. The wall was a key piece of Trump propaganda to insulate, isolate, and elevate America from the rest of the dangerous world. The idea was actually suggested by political consultants Roger Stone and Sam Nunberg, who were looking for a mnemonic device that would keep Trump on message. Trump didn't love the idea at first, but he tried it out at a rally and the crowds went crazy. It turned out to be a stroke of marketing genius. Not only did it play on the us versus them trope, but it also allowed Trump to conjure images of murderers and rapists amassing at the southern border. It allowed him to instill fear in the hearts and minds of his followers, far beyond what is the norm at campaign rallies, and yet straight out of the cult leader playbook. The Muslim ban, which Trump tried to implement early in his presidency, was a variation on this theme, as many of the Christian right fear that Islam wants to rule the world and impose Sharia law on Americans. Trump uses all kinds of cult tactics, lying, insulating op opponents, projecting his weaknesses onto others, deflecting, distracting, presenting alternative facts and competing versions of reality to confuse, disorient, and ultimately coerce his followers. Repetition programs the belief into the unconscious, but fear-mongering tops the list. In my experience, phobia indoctrination, the creation of fearful thoughts to promote and reinforce a desired set of beliefs or behaviors in followers, is one of the most powerful and universal techniques in the cult leader's arsenal. This is why Trump spends so much time, so much air and Twitter time painting a frightening picture of the danger posed by immigrants, Mexicans, Muslims, the migrant caravan, the more vivid the thought or image installed in people's minds, the greater a hold, uh, hold it has on us, and the less susceptible we are to rational or critical thought. There are other enemies in Trump's world, globalists, radical left-wing Democrats, socialists, Hollywood actors, the liberal media, all of whom want to destroy America. Inspiring fear of real or imagined threats overrides people's sense of urgency. It makes them susceptible to a confident authority figure who promises to keep them safe and can make them more compliant and obedient. Fear defines Trump's philosophy, his personality, and his presidency. It is also his definition of power, according to Bob Wood Woodward's aptly titled book, Fear. In it, Woodward reported that Trump told him, quote, real power is, I don't even want to use the word, fear. Trump, like cult leaders and dictators throughout history, seizes upon people's needs and fears and amplifies them. Like these authoritarian leaders, he may manufacture problems that do not exist and then say, trust me or believe me, and promise that only he can fix it. Given the right circumstances, sane, rational, well-adjusted people can be made to consider and ultimately believe the most outrageous leaders and propositions. There is a method to their madness. Cult leaders may look and behave differently, but even the craziest, most chaotic ones follow a similar pattern. While they usually have no academic training, they are masters of human psychology, especially social psychology. They understand that human beings are social creatures who, at some level, are wired to follow leaders and powerful members of their group. 
They know that they can confuse people with false information and lies, and then sow doubt by claiming that they never said what they said in the first place. People like to think they're rational and in control, but the lessons of history and social psychology demonstrate time and again that simply ain't so. We go about our ways and our lives using unconscious mental models. When cult leaders manipulate these models in subtle and overt ways, we can be persuaded to believe and do things we might never have considered without such systemic psychological influence. Ultimately, their goal is to make people dependent and obedient. Before the 24-7 world of smartphones and the internet, cult leaders would physically isolate members in order to control all aspects of their lives, their behavior, information, thoughts, and emotions, or what we call the BITE model of indoctrination, B-I-T-E. But physical isolation is not always necessary for indoctrination to occur. Through the media and the internet, people can be indoctrinated and even recruited on their smartphones or in their own homes. Some cult leaders, including pimps and human traffickers, use smartphones and digital technology to monitor and control their followers. Taken to an extreme, the indoctrination process can break down a person's fundamental identity to such an extent that they can be said to have a new pseudo-identity cast in the image of the group's leader or ideology. In her documentary, The Brainwashing of My Dad, Jan Senko shows how her once loving and liberal father, Frank, came to espouse ra hate-filled racist views after listening to Rush Limbaugh and other right-wing talk radio hosts for many hours a day while commuting to work. He was essentially radicalized by these shows and also by Fox News television. I have met and heard about followers of Trump who have undergone radical personality changes, adopting viewpoints that would have been abhorrent to their former selves. Perhaps most confounding is how so many devout Christians have come to believe that a man who cheated on his pregnant wife was handpicked by God. Of course, Trump is not carrying out this indoctrination single-handedly through his Twitter account. The book, The Cult of Trump, VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And welcome back. Maverick in uh, Edmonds, Washington, listening on KBCS. Hey, Maverick, what's on your mind? Sensei Hartman, Ohio to you. <laughs> I believe well, that's, that, thank I you, believe isn't that's it? Good no, no. I, yeah. <laughs> that guy, that guy yeah. that calls from Washington all the time that always has the morning. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, uh, so we're competing on languages. <laughs> okay. I'm, so, what's up, I'm Maverick? So, you know, an aside here, if you get 72 virgins, you also get 72 mothers-in-law. <laughs> well, theoretically, maybe they, maybe the mothers-in-law went to the other place. Who knows? Um, but what but, I wanted to, yeah. uh, to uh, contribute to uh, with your topic, uh, you said yesterday and frequently, I think it's Voltaire said, if you can commit, uh, convince someone to believe an absurdity, you can convince them to commit an atrocity. That's that correct. Voltaire? It was Voltaire, yes. Well, you know, that plays out pretty well when you look at, uh, you know, convincing people of the absurdity of a creator deity and an afterlife. Yeah. I give you the I give you the pogroms. I give you the Salem witch trials. I give you the 9-11 event. Uh, I give you the, uh, what was it, the Spanish Inquisition, which no one expected. And uh, I, could, I could go on. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And this is why it's so troubling. And when you combine it with the fact that, uh, you know, uh, <coughs> Tucker Carlson is in Hungary right now. Um, God, I wish you wouldn't say his name. That hurts yeah. me so. Sorry, Maverick. But it's real, and it's, uh, this is, uh, you know, very, very concerning. This is very troubling. We need to grow out of this, Tom. We need to grow out of this. Hey, look, man, you have a great day, and thanks for your service. Okay, thanks a lot, Maverick. Good to hear from you. Uh, it, this is... This is uh, this is very, very, very 
dangerous stuff. I don't, I don't know how to define it beyond that. Uh, Patrick in Lakewood, California. Hey, Patrick, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. Uh, it's Patrick in Lakewood. I, I'm just calling. I was hoping to get your producers. Uh, apparently, DirecTV and uh, uh, Free Speech TV were in the middle of a reboot, so they lost the first 10 minutes of the show. Yeah. I was wondering if you could do a real quick recap of what you said. Sure. I will, I will do that, Patrick. Uh, what, I, what I'm talking about is my op-ed today over at HartmanReport.com that when you, I, Louise and I have been watching Vikings, and you know, how did the Vikings take over so much of Europe? Well, they believed that if you die in battle, you immediately go to heaven. And this is the most dangerous thing you can insert into a religion or a culture. This is what bin Laden this was his twist that he inserted into modern-day Islam, and it's why those guys were willing to die to make 9-11 happen. It's, it's, the, it's the twist that the Pope in 1099 inserted into Christianity, which is why people were willing to die in the Crusades and, and they conquered Jerusalem. Um, it, it, is, it is an extraordinarily dangerous and deadly thing. And we are on the edge now. There's, there's this uh, Mooney pastor, the, the son of Reverend Moon, apparently, who is now talking about how uh, January 6th would have been a good way to die. And uh, uh, Donald Trump is trying to make Ashley Babbitt into one of these martyrs. This is just dangerous, dangerous stuff. Patrick, that's what I'm talking about. Patrick, thank you for the heads up on that, by the way. Lloyd in Framingham, Massachusetts. Hey, Lloyd, thanks for listening on SiriusXM. What's up? I don't really see much of a difference at all. You and I, and I love you. I support you very much. But there is no line. I think the Republican Party actually stepped over that quote-unquote line decades ago. When? I guess you could when did the Republican Party start saying that if you die in the service of our cause, you go to heaven? I guess that's uh, the latest extension of it, but the, but the minute that Nixon took the uh, Southern strategy, that's when they dove into that pool. Well, that's they when they have, yeah, started swimming toward the, in that direction. I'll, I'll give you that. Oh, absolutely. And I, at this point, having seen uncles and aunts with green uh, letters and numbers burnt into their bodies, I don't really see much of a difference between our nation and the Nazi uh, situation because of what we did against Japanese Americans, Chinese Americans in the 1800s, where they just killed an entire, you know, entire villages because, you know, as you have mentioned many times, because uh, they didn't want a... Uh, a culture other than the white culture out there right. threatens them. Well, and look at the and horrors of slavery, too. And I, I write about that in my op-ed, that this, this was, you know, we've always been dancing very, very close to this edge. And, that, and we... And the and, slaughter of well, Native Americans. Right. And to get to that final part of the pool where uh, they, you know, incorporate, you know, God and, you know, dying and and all that stuff for, for the better good of uh, living forever. I can't think of a time in my life where I didn't see part of that in our culture. You know, I just don't. I mean, I, it's, it's sad, but it, I don't see much of a line now. I'm glad it concerns you. I'm, nobody knows what tomorrow brings. Nothing would shock me as to how much deeper we're going to go. Nothing. Yeah. Well, the fact that, uh, and, and I, this headline just went up over on Raw Story, and so I, I have yet to incorporate it into my op-ed today at Hartman Report. The fact that the son of Reverend Moon is now talking about honorable deaths in battle is like, oh my God, here we are. My dad told me, the, you know, who volunteered for World War II, that the kamikaze pilots were the things that everybody feared because they thought that if they died in battle, they went to heaven immediately. It's, uh, you know, Lloyd, you make a very, very good point. Thank you very much for the call. Hey, Rick, what's on your mind? Thanks for watching us on Free Speech. 1100, 1182, whatever, they had the Crusades. A couple, two, three hundred years later, they had the uh, Inquisition. And after that, they had the Enlightenment. My theory is... We're going through the same thing. I think it started with the O.J. Simpson trial, by the way. But we're, we're going through the same thing. We're like in the crusade stage right now, 
And when these people get power, then we go through the Inquisition stage. And then after that, then maybe we'll come into a new enlightenment. But it's going to be accelerated because of electronic media. And social media. You know, being able to boost your broadcast or whatever they call it nowadays. So it's going to be going off quicker and quicker and quicker. It took, you know, like maybe seven, eight hundred years way back then. It might take two or three now. I don't know. I mean, I hope it takes longer than that because I'm like 70, you know. Yeah. You know, knock this thing down 35 or 40 years down the road and be fine with me. You know, if you can't stop it now, at least delay it. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it, but I think you're right, later. Rick. The accelerant, the gasoline on the fire is social media, and it is traveling very, very rapidly. Rick, thank you for the call. Jonathan in Portland. Hey, Jonathan. I think the idea of egging on people to die for God is part of U.S foreign policy and military strategy. Um, one very good example of it, in 1980, when uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski was in the Khyber Pass, egging on the uh, Afghan refugees to take back their land, and they will have their homes back one day because God is on their side and they are right. Um, yeah, Charlie that's Wilson's war. footage, by the way, on YouTube. That's very easy to find. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Robert Gates had a very good book, a uh, former defense secretary called From the Shadows, which talks about that time. And uh, he, he worked with Carter at that time, who essentially started the war in Afghanistan, goaded the Soviets into Afghanistan um, secretly. And, uh, you know, we've been <clears throat> supporting terrorist groups, uh, the NEK, uh, Mujahideen-i Kalk, who has a history far back as the Shah, and uh, was important during uh, when Saddam was in power uh, as a foil, as a proxy to fight Iran. They were being kept in, uh, protected by the Americans, even though they were on the terrorist list, State Department terrorist list. And for people who don't know this, there are good articles. There's one great one by Seymour Hersh called mm-hmm. Our Men in Iran in The New Yorker. Yeah. Um, there's a, another very good one. Um, called the uh, Iranian Group, a source of contention in Iraq, which is which was published in Time in 2009. Um, there was another fairly recent one in the Intercept uh, in uh, March March 22nd of 2020, called uh, Def- "Defectors: Tell of Torture and Forced Sterilization in Militant Iranian Cult." Because they are a cult, we've actually protected uh, a cult. They're basically a cult that's you know mm-hmm. uh, accused of sexual abuse. I mean, you know, people have to grow up. And stop being naive. Uh, anything and everything is on the table to kill people and to gain power. Sadly, on the right, this rise of right-wing nationalism or so-called Christian nationalism is very, very troubling. Nicholas in San Cristobal, Mexico. Hey, Nicholas, what's up? Tom, how are you? I was originally ca- thank you for taking my call. I was originally calling uh, in response to your news. Very disturbing news about Tucker Carlson meeting up with Victor Orban. Before Mikey Weinstein came on, I was thinking, I wonder if Carlson is up to getting tips from Orban about how to bring the military on board to a greater degree. Well, I think Weinstein just set me on fire. I've got a fire extinguisher beside me, by the way, thank goodness. Uh, he totally set my hair on fire. Like, the man absolutely nailed it. This is what's going on. The in- military is being wildly infiltrated by right-wingers and these Christian neo-fascist, I don't know what to call them, but thugs who are out to undo a great deal of what you, I, and everyone we have known for the last umpteen years, you know, that we've said about trying to correct and make better. They want it undone. There's no more deadly war than a holy war. I mean, that's the bottom line. Exactly. This is insane. I mean, if, if enough people aren't seeing this yet, then Lord help us. I mean... How do we get more people to, to see this with some degree of clarity? It seems so obvious to you, to me, and to a lot of other people. This is insanity happening in, in, in plain view. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I'm doing everything I can to just point it out to people. And, and uh, you know, we, ultimately, I think Mikey is absolutely right. This, this needs to be taken on by the military itself and by our government. Nicholas, thank you for the call. Doc in Hodgesville, West Virginia. Hey, Doc, what's up? I was actually building a trebuchet or a catapult in the backyard when you uh, started your rant. Yeah, there's too many scary similarities in the United States with what was going on in the Middle Ages. We always see things through the lens we, we, we're, you know, we're aware of or what we've studied. But the, the worst of those is what your callers and your, your guests have already said. Those two words, holy war, 
that's some of the scariest. And, and when we got involved over there in Afghanistan and then more, you know, Iraq twice, holy mackerel, we just opened the door for all these guys to say, hey, let's go kill some people. And, uh, and we belong over there. And uh, now they're going to use it on us. When a religion or a culture, I wrote about this back after 9-11 in this uh, anthology, this book, uh, From the Ashes, A Spiritual Response to the Attack on America. Um, I wrote a piece, Pope John Paul II submitted a piece, Thich Nhat Hanh had a piece in there, the Dalai Lama had a piece in there, and then a bunch of uh, people like me who are just, you know, much lower profile folks. And what I wrote about at that time, this was after 9-11, was how bin Laden had embedded this belief that if you die in the service of violence, in the, in the service of killing bad guys, you go to heaven. And that was the thing that, that enabled 9-11. That was what made al-Qaeda so dangerous. This is what ISIS believes right now. This is the dividing line. There's a very thin dividing line between civilization and barbarity. And the thing that determines it is a religious belief that if you die killing other people for a noble cause, you immediately go to heaven. And when cultures embrace that belief, they cease to be civilized. And, and I mean, this is why we refer to that period of time when the popes, there was 300 years that the popes were pushing this, 250 years that the popes were pushing this during the Crusades. And that is what we refer to as the Dark Ages. Barbarism ruled. And I'm seeing this growing, and it concerns me. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.